This is Shinji Kagawa, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Welcome to episode 305 of the Yellow World Pods. I'm your host, Stefan Botsko, and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 3-1 loss in the Champions League against FC Barcelona and preview the do-or-die match for Lucien Favre away to Hertha Berlin at the Olympiastadion on Saturday, which is tomorrow, um, or today if you're listening before the game. Anyway, um, this and more we will have to discuss, and we means... Lars Polman and I. Hello, Lars. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. I am the ghost of Christmas past, and maybe someone is listening to this show after the game against Hertha. In which case, they <laughs> will they will uh, already know that my prediction, which is to come in like forty five minutes, was spot on as usual. Obviously, um, for everyone listening on a more recent date, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So we have a couple of things to discuss. And uh, why don't we start with uh, today's press conference uh, where Michael Zorg and Lucien Favre um, basically, I guess, put lipstick on the on the pig um, when they talked about the Barcelona game. I uh, remember Lucien Favre saying that it wasn't all that bad and that we should not be uh, all that critical. I think he said, we can't criticize the team for the last match in Barcelona. Um, we have to continue to play like this. When you analyze the game, you see that we have two big chances chances in the first half. And then again, during the final 25 minutes, we have three or four big opportunities. It's not all negative. We didn't play poorly in Barcelona. I think we have to see that in a more positive light. And then uh, Zorg adds that we've sold ourselves a bit short because we gave the goals away too easily due to individual errors. Mats very self-critically conceded his error before the second goal. We managed to create a few chances. After all, we played in Barcelona, not on some random meadow. Um, so you, you, you're getting the, the gist of it, Lars. Um, and I have to say I vehemently disagree with that assessment because I thought, uh, quite frankly, this... Uh, Dortmund team looked hopeless at the Camp Nou. Um, what was your takeaway, and would you agree with uh, the, uh, let's say, the the post game analysis after a couple of days from Mr. Zorc and Mr. Favre? Actually, I would agree to an extent. Uh, I don't think they were, you know, horrible in this game. I mean, if you are horrible playing at Barcelona, you probably get slaughters and they didn't. I mean, 3-1, not too far away from the 2-0 I predicted in our preview episode. So uh, in that sense, I can understand to a degree also, obviously it's about not putting down your own players too much after, you know, three difficult results against Bayern, Paderborn and Barca. If after two days they would come out and say, you know, we were absolute shit in this game, like, I don't think that's conducive to a good performance in the Hertha game. Uh, but, but, true. but I also uh, agree with your uh, reading of the game that they seemed kind of hopeless 
for basically the entire 90 minutes. I know that the final 15 minutes or so, and let's say the final 30 minutes, even uh, in terms of possession and, you know, putting the game to Barca were better than the first 60. But I mean, the game was already in the barn basically for Barca, who didn't really care about the game anymore at that point. So uh, when the game mattered to both teams, I think they didn't really deserve to be on the same pitch. And that is with Barcelona not really being, you know, the Barcelona of of old, of Guardiola, of even Lucho Henrique. I mean, this, this Barca is basically Messi making stuff happen. And obviously he did. He had a wonderful evening, which, I mean... It hurts from a Dortmund perspective, but we only get so many games of him now that he's uh, way over 30. So in that sense, I, I still kind of enjoyed the evening, uh, as I also said before the uh, gamer that I would. But I mean, if if against this Barca, which is really not among the two or three best teams in the world anymore at this stage, I would confidently say if if against this team, you have basically no shot at winning and don't really seem like you're trying to win. Uh, that's that's more problematic to me than perhaps making a mistake too many against a team that's still on a talent level superior to yourself. You know, it's one thing to have weird individual errors like Mats Hummels when he tried to have this very vertical pass. But on the on the other hand, I just thought that Dortmund were way too passive. Yet again, predictably so, and and allowed Barcelona way too much space. And uh, I think Konstantin wrote a piece for T Online where he basically predicted the same lineup that uh, Favre in the end chose, but then also said that the only way to beat Barcelona if is if you're aggressive in your four four two, and uh, Favre usually is not, and uh, that certainly yet again was the case. And uh, I was. A little bit annoyed. Um, I don't know how you saw the the lineup with a. I I think I put it with three and a half fullbacks. You had uh, Pishik and Hakimi on the right side, and then uh, Schulz and Guerrero on the other side. Um, you know, I think after what sixty six seconds or so, Schulz had a very good chance, but uh, I I do not remember the chance uh, the the other chance that Favre referenced uh, in the first half that Dortmund supposedly have. Um, maybe uh, I need to watch the highlights again. But um, in general, I have to say I'm very um, flummoxed with the well, especially with the front two of Reus and Brandt. I just don't see how how this is going to work at all in in any sort of way. And uh, yeah, I I don't know. I just think there's not a lot of uh, coherence in this team right now. And when they have the ball, the the way they try to progress the ball, I don't I don't think it's too hard to predict for opponents. I don't know what you make of it, but uh, I thought that Barcelona didn't never really had to shift into the highest gear to contain Dortmund, and especially in the second half where they allowed Dortmund to really have a lot of the ball. I think Dortmund had the majority. Um, yeah, it 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 just didn't didn't look very good overall so this is why i say it was hopeless because i i don't see this team having a major improvement and and showing coherence anytime soon i don't know what you made out of the lineup um obviously we have to talk about Jaden sancho in in a minute but uh, overall uh, what were your thoughts before and during the game concerning uh the formation that favorite chose 
Well, I can't say I was particularly surprised. Um, I mean, obviously the Sancho situation and also Torg and Azar having digestive issues, to put it mildly. Um, I mean, that, that obviously. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't hear. I didn't even know that, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. He had the shits, basically. So that's okay. why he, so he wasn't what, what starting. Alcasa has right now, too. I think he has gastritis or, yeah. as he would say, the shits. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, obviously that. I would assume that at least one of those two would have started uh, perhaps over Nico Schulz on the left wing, but I mean, the, the hindsight is twenty twenty and all that, so uh, I wasn't surprised at all with uh, Reus and Brandt up front, because that's basically what we talked about in the preview episode, which we all didn't really want to happen, but kind of knew it would uh, all the same, so uh, that wasn't surprising and not even uh, discouraging at this stage because this is basically what they are, what Farfa likes to do. So, I mean, it's, it's wasted energy thinking too much about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the Fair real, enough. the real stunner to me is, uh, leaving, uh, Hakimi off. Um, I, I didn't, no, he didn't, he wasn't left off, right? No, he played. Yeah. I mean, he disappeared for the first 45 minutes. Maybe that's why I, I momentarily, was yeah, there were a lot of players that that that, uh, that were stunning by not uh, seemingly making a, an appearance. I mean, if if it weren't for the team sheet, I also had no idea Marco Royce was playing in this game. To be honest, yeah, he uh, won the coin toss, I think. So that's one more duel he's won then in the last few games when uh, <laughs> when the opponent really uh, was at the top of their games. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's a bit disappointing, obviously, that uh, Mats Hummels of all players makes mistakes there, but uh, it it also showed the desperation he had uh, before the two 0 I think, uh, to to play that pass because uh, you know the, otherwise nothing was was going on for Dortmund. Um, I was also not particularly happy with uh, Witzel or Weigel midfield. I thought they uh, did do a really good job to quickly pass the ball around. You know, you at least want your midfield hub to distribute the ball quickly, so uh, other players can can move into places, and and you pull maybe uh, a couple of Barcelona players out of space. That didn't really happen. It's I don't know. It's just like a stuttering motor, to be honest. I just think that Dortmund waste too much time to control the ball and and to you know imprecise back passes and all that kind of stuff that uh, you should do so much better. It's just a little bit sloppy here and there. And uh, overall, the quality suffers way more um, than, than it should because of that. So, um, yeah, it's annoying. And the devil is certainly in the details. Um, there were a couple of instances where Dortmund looked amazing. Uh, uh, I think the uh, almost uh, second goal by Jaden Sancho that, uh, you know, was preceded by a nice back heel move. I think it was by Guerrero so. You know, that actually did look like football. So um, we all know what this team is capable of and what the potential is. But my problem is that too many times they are far below their uh, apparent potential. And uh, too many times they also only start to press their opponent or, or play well once it's too late, once they're down by a goal, two or three. So, um, yeah, overall a bit annoying. And uh, that is the perfect segue to the Jane Sancho segment because uh, that also was just, to me, annoying. Um, apparently what happened in hindsight is that he uh, missed the team briefing. Uh, WDR also reported he missed the 
breakfast and and the uh, warm-up, I guess. Um, but that was refuted by Zorc and other media also couldn't corroborate that. But um, at least he, he missed parts of the team briefing in the hotel, I guess, on the, on match day and hence... Uh, uh, yeah, started on the bench and Lucien Favre then before the game basically said he only uh, plays or fields players that are focused and ready. Um, now, a couple of days later, we have, for example, the independent writing uh, that Dortmund are ready to sell him in the winter and, and all kinds of crazy transfer rumors uh, that come out of that. And obviously, uh, uh, I think Sancho found a shoulder to cry on a couple of days before that uh with David Ornstein and from the athletic way said that he felt humiliated and, uh, yeah, scapegoated for that Bayern loss. Um, so Lars, overall, what do you make of the Jaden Sancho situation? My take is that things are cooked hotter than they are eaten, as we say in German. Uh, what do you make of this? Yeah, something similar, I guess. I mean, if, if his recent or most recent transgression would have been as bad, uh, as perhaps it seemed the day after the game, then I would think he wouldn't have been on the bench and Favre would certainly wouldn't have turned to him in a moment of dire need, which obviously kind of weakens any kind of disciplinary action that might happen or might not happen afterwards. I mean, uh, if if a player can still play 45 minutes in what basically amounts to a must-score situation for your team... Uh, you basically tell him he's too important on in in a sporting sense to uh, also be held accountable for transgressions against team rules in some aspects. So uh, I I don't think there's any more disciplinary action coming. The, he already paid a, a very hefty fine after his one game suspension in October. So uh, I mean, certainly there seems to be some discontent over his general situation at Dortmund. Uh, I don't think I have the necessary insight to really comment on whether that feeling is warranted or if it's uh, manufactured to maybe fabricate a window of opportunity for a transfer, which I don't think he necessarily would need because basically there seems to be some sort of gentleman's agreement between all the parties that Sancho is going to be available for the right price, of course, uh, at the end of the season or before next season, especially should he uh, perform well for England at the Euros. So, I mean, from that sense, I don't really understand why he would need to drum up kind of a market for himself or obviously have his agents and friendly media members do it for him. Uh, I mean, he's, he's basically off in the summer and we've known about this for quite some time. So... I don't see necessarily much of a reason for him to uh, speed up the process, if you like. But I also yeah, don't, I, I would agree. But I, but I also don't see why uh, you know Dortmund would try to make an example out of him uh, or or do scapegoat him because I I would say that their uh, public communication when it came uh, came to Jane Sancho over the last few weeks and months hasn't been great. I mean, I called. Dortmund's communication under the current regime, mo meaning mostly Favre, but not only Favre, kind of a debacle this week because uh, time and time again, they don't really come out with the whole truth right away, leave so much room for speculation. Uh, I mean, the, the talk about Sancho was that he 
pulled a Dembele basically and, and striked and or went on strike and whatever. And then ultimately, uh, it seems to have been uh, a lot of hot air about, you know, a, a comparatively a minor incident if we are to believe the, the words of Michel Zorc today. So the, the entire saga to me, as you so neatly put it, uh, is, is probably a more, a hot topic to debate than it really is internally. Yeah, so I, I think Salk today said that uh, I think I have it here somewhere. Um, we have already discussed this issue internally with uh, Jaden and with the team and so forth. This matter has been dealt with. We are looking ahead now. Jaden is a regular part of the team and he says later the questions today basically want to solicit an answer about whether he is quote-unquote, pushing for a winter transfer. I do not have the impression after many talks with uh, we, we had with Jaden and also his agency. I hope that he reaches his full performance potential tomorrow. So what I make of this is really that um, that's, that's pretty much a nothing burger. Um, I just believe that, yes, he's maybe a bit disciplined and uh, people are very harsh on him for that. I personally cannot because I... Uh, was known to be late in school or not always have my homework. So, um, you know, I I can completely understand that the 19-year-old kid uh, is maybe not always on time, which obviously sucks in team sport and, uh, as you said, is uh, a violation of the team rules and should be, uh, yeah, retaliated or, or disciplined or whatever. But, um, again, um, he's 19 years old. Um, yes, he's making a lot of money. Yes, he is in, in a professional surrounding and should behave like that. But I know for a fact that uh, human beings aren't perfect. <laughs> so um, I don't want to cut him some slack, but uh, I, I can see how these things just happen for no good reason. And I don't think there is any uh, malevolence on, on his part. And I don't think... There, people are scheming for him to to uh, get a winter transfer, especially because I don't think that Dortmund have any interest in selling him, no matter what happens. And uh, un unless this really further escalates into something, uh, I don't believe that there's a there there. So um, yeah, I think um, it's it's something we had to discuss and to analyze. And our analysis is, I think, uh, yeah, everyone calm down and please everyone get their shit together, and then we can move on because. Um, yeah, there's a lot of talk in the media, but um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really too uh, hot-headed about it. So um, now Dortmund travel to Berlin to play what is apparently a do-or-die game for Lucien Favre, um, and they do that without Julian Weigel. Uh, instead, Tobias Russell has been called up to the squad. Uh, he was in the squad for the Revier Derby and uh, otherwise is playing for the under-23. Uh, a lot of people will remember that Tobias Russell was one of the very positive, uh, I don't want to say surprises, but uh, appearances during the preseason. And, uh, you know, there were articles written whether he can become the next Julian Weigel, so it makes sense, I guess, that he is being called up while also Thomas Delaney is out injured with an ankle injury until January, and uh, Paco Alcázar, as I previously mentioned, is out with the gastritis, and Jakob Brunlassen uh, has knee problems, so um, otherwise, I think everyone is fit and healthy, so um, Lars, this is going to be an 
interesting game. I don't want to say exciting because uh, games at the Olympiastadion are rarely exciting, with the exception of last season, of course, where uh, Vedat Ibisevic got sent off for uh, throwing the ball into Roman Bucki's face and Dortmund had a stoppage time winner and all that. So that was very exciting. Um, but now we have Jürgen Klinsmann being introduced as the new coach. So um, lots to talk about. Um How do you think Dortmund will shape up for this game and uh, in what kind of shape do you expect uh, the hosts? Well, first of all, I want to disagree and say that the uh, 2012 Cup final against Bayern was also quite exciting. Well, yes, there, there are exceptions to the rule, but I mean games against Hertha. Yeah, I mean, they are typically slugfests. It feels like they always play there in bad conditions. So like uh, autumn weather, which is the case now. And, you know, the Olympia Stadion is built to really suffer from bad conditions because it has that open uh, marathon tour end, uh, which B4B fans will remember from Moritz Leitner, iconically um, waving a, a giant Dortmund flag after that cup win against Bayern. So... Um, the, Good times. Uh, yeah. One of your all-time favorite moments, it seems, right, Lars? Well, Moritz Leitner is one of my all-time favorite players, so um, <laughs> that that works well together. So um, I think we can expect basically what we've gotten at Berlin most of the last few years, which is not a great game of football, but high-intensity Individual mistakes on both sides, which also the current situation of both teams kind of works uh, in th in that favor. And then the the big question, obviously, what kind of impact uh, coaching change and especially one to such a you know prominent figure as Jürgen Klinsmann will have on the Hertha side. Uh, as for Dortmund, I didn't even know Julian Weigel was going to be out. This was the first I've heard of it. So you would assume that it's not going to be Tobias Rasche just slotting in for no, I, I don't his assume that. Bundesliga debut in, I don't actually think it's a do or die game for Favre, but you know, it's, it's still a very important game in the overall context of Dortmund season. So, uh, given also that Mahmoud Tahoud hasn't really inspired much, uh, in his, last few performances, I would assume Dortmund are going to start out in that 4-1-4-1 that looked decent against uh, Paderborn in the second half, so Witzel has the lone pivot, um, which kind of frees up uh, an additional attacker to come in. I would assume <laughs> Sancho uh, or Hazard are going to start over uh, Schulz, maybe both start, and Hakimi is back at fullback. Uh, so it might leave an open door for Mario Götze, for example, which I obviously would be a fan of, of that idea also to play, uh, Brandt and Reus kind of as a double 10, as we like to call it in Germany, which that's what I would do, which for one, for one, yeah, that's, I mean, that's it, what I would opt for and Götze up top. That would be the ideal front lineup that I would pick against Hertha and then have Hazard and Sancho on the flanks or Hakimi or so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that on, on paper, that looks really great. But I mean, we've also seen kind of uh, Marco Reus <laughs> completely falter in many games this season. So him not having the usual space to himself, that could also lead to some issues. Maybe he and Brandt occupy the, the same uh, areas of the pitch too much or whatever. But I mean, we can only deal in, in, in the what-ifs and the what-if to me sounds best if uh, they go out with 
you know, in a positive lineup and try to put the game to Hertha and test out, uh, what what that side is made of especially also because there there were some rumors today i think uh, i only you know witnessed them on twitter that uh, Klinsmann was going to shake things up quite severely with a lot of players not even called up for the game and maybe a couple yeah, of youngsters Andre Duda or so isn't isn't going to be called yeah, up and, that's the only thing and, that i read and Eduard Löwen was playing for the second team today he was a 7 million signing in the summer so there seems to be in uh, at least the the idea that perhaps Klinsmann is going to go with a really, you know, untested lineup with a lot of players that, that might not, you know, have the baggage of the last few weeks on their uh, backs, but also not have much experience at that highest level. So I would hope that this is kind of the opportunity for Dortmund to really go all guns blazing and finally get the lead in the game again. But, you know, I've I've seen too much of this season and of Farfus tenure at Dortmund overall to believe that they are going to, you know, really, really put the game to Hertha in the first few minutes. Yeah, I think Dortmund have made it a little bit of a habit, if I may say so, to concede early away to Hertha. Um I don't I don't know why and if I'm even correct apart from the last game, uh, because my memory sometimes uh, lets me down. But um yeah, I I agree with you. I would hope that uh, Dortmund try to actually take the game to Hertha. I think this is absolutely necessary, but we all know uh, it's unlikely. So maybe there's uh, a change in the team. And uh, I, I wonder if uh, after that uh, three-all draw against Paderborn and in the way that Dortmund conceded the first three goals, whether they, th the players themselves just decide to do something differently. Who knows? Um, I don't know. Um, To, to me, it just sounded a bit like uh, Dortmund made an ultimatum for Favre that uh, if he doesn't win this game, that there will be a change afterwards. But uh, I'm not sure. But maybe at this moment, while we still have five minutes, um, a quick shout out to the uh, Borussia Dortmund London fan club because they have asked us to uh, speculate about uh, possible alternatives. Um I've heard the name Daniel Farke pop up now uh, several times. Um, Lars, I've, I have no idea what his deal with Norwich is and so on and so forth, but um, is, is that something you think uh, Dortmund should pursue or not? And uh, what do you make of Roger Schmidt, etc.? Well, I mean, Roger Schmidt we covered in the last episode. So I don't, I mean, people can just listen back to that. Basically, I said that he seems to be like the most likely candidate to take over immediately and have some positive impact on the team, basically because uh, he plays the way that I think most fans would enjoy Dortmund more if if they were playing that way. But, you know, I don't know uh, if if that's actually going to happen. I mean, he's always in the run for basically any job in Germany, but also has a lot of support, at least from, you know, uh, the, the the blogger community, if we can call it that, in, in England. So if Everton, for example, were to come open, then that would be an option as well. I'm mentioning Everton because that's uh, whom Norwich just beat. Uh, their first win, I think, since famously beating Man City this season. So... There's, there's some level of giant slayer, I guess, to uh, Daniel Farke, even though Everton are anything but a giant this season. But, you know, I mean, 
from Norwich perspective, yeah, maybe they are. The, the, the Canaries are really punching above their weight, just being in the Premier League uh, in terms of their financial status. Uh, and and they are they are in the relegation zone right now, but you know they they still see the light, especially after beating Everton. And, and if you look at the teams immediately above them, it's West Ham and Everton, I think. And those two can spend uh, you know uh, ten times what Norwich can spend on players. So uh, keeping them in the Premier League would be maybe a little less of a miracle uh, than what David Wagner did with Huddersfield, but it's not too far off. So I certainly think uh, that's something that Farke will pursue. So I don't think he's going to be available uh, before the summer. And so the the question is, do Dortmund wait for him if he's the uh, he's packed as the ideal candidate, which I could see happening because they know him very well from his uh, 18 months or so as the second team coach. Um, they they know his personality works in the uh, in the uh, Revere area. I mean, he's uh, open, outspoken. He's emotional. He can get the crowd riled up. He reaches his players. He plays the kind of football that uh, people will enjoy at Dortmund. It's not necessarily that heavy pressing Jurgen Klopp style, but you know more entertaining possession football than what Dortmund currently are playing. So I'm all for the idea of signing him also because, you know... Yeah, I'm, I'm for the idea of proactivity, to be honest. That's that's yeah. what I want to see. And and I I, I think they, they need someone now that can also um, kind of act as a unifying figure for the fan base and for the surroundings of the club and, and be someone also the media might be more sympathetic to than some of the other coaches <laughs> Dortmund have had because quite frankly uh, that's that's also something that shapes the image of a club uh, nowadays so in in all those uh, or in, in in with all these ideas I think Farke is a very strong candidate for Dortmund but the, the problem of him not being available until the summer presumably uh, I mean, they can always offer Norwich a nice transfer fee for the head coach, which is something that more clubs should do, in my opinion. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, right now he's not available. So, is it feasible to continue with Favre until the end of the s season uh, as a lame duck? Uh, they don't think so. Otherwise, they wouldn't have uh, extended his contract quite needlessly in the summer. So, uh, you would then look at an interim situation, but there's not really a, a natural candidate in Dortmund unless Matthias Sammer suddenly gets the urge to be back on the touchline. <laughs> uh, I doubt it. Which is highly unlikely because he suffered a stroke <laughs> the last time he was in a in a in a daily or part of daily operations of a football club at Bayern. So, I mean, Farke to me is a really nice idea, but I don't know if if the timing's right for for that to happen this time around. Yeah, it's it's curious. Um, I really do wonder what happens uh, if if Dortmund don't win in Berlin or, or really play in an impressive way. Um, if Dortmund have someone ready or not, I, I guess we'll just have to find out. Um, because uh, we have to leave it here. Um, Lars, I will solicit a prediction against now 15th place Hertha Berlin, who I think have lost all of their last four games. Um, what do you think this? Uh, final scoreline will be one all. All right. So, do you think if 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 it's one one all, uh, Favre will get sacked? 
uh, seeing as I don't know who the uh, replacement would be, I would have to say no right now. Yeah, it's weird, right? There's like no obvious candidate or name that's floating. I mean, about, there so. are some candidates, but they, they, the names haven't been floating. So, I mean, they are not getting Pochettino. Ralf Rangnick is not an option. Uh, Roger Schmidt is the, the one obvious name that hasn't kind of been ruled out to me or rules itself out like Pochettino and, and Rangnick do. So that's why I keep mentioning him, but there's, it's not like, any kind of uh, media uh, that that seems to be close to the club has kind of floated him too too obviously. All right, Lars. Now I I will ask one last question, and I want you to be very frank. Um, do you want Favre to be sacked? And uh, if had uh, Dortmund not winning uh, is the only possibility to make that happen, uh, would you quote unquote hope for another Dortmund slip up? Yes, I would like Dortmund to have a new manager, but genuinely I don't really care for just because I have to have some impartiality in me. I don't really care about the results necessarily. I care about the performances and hope for good performances, which usually uh, result in good results. Is, is right, that di was that diplomatic enough? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, sure, it was. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I... I've I've uh, caught myself thinking, hmm, what if Dortmund don't win, but then Favre gets sacked? Because I I think it's time now. Um, I'm not seeing the turnaround. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I uh, I think it's, it's time for to make a change. Basically, I don't want them to make a change for the sake of making a change. That's my problem. I mean, if they have a viable alternative, I said this like for weeks. If you have an alternative, sure, go for it. But just firing Farfel to think it's going to be better with anyone else. I don't think that's the situation. And I also don't think that the team has given the impression that they are not playing hard or anything for their coach anymore. So that's... Yeah, I would actually agree with the assessment. You that, know, I've, that's I've said, that's my problem. So you, I've, I've, I've said it before. Like, if you install a, a pressing coach a la Roger Schmidt, then you still have a double pivot of, say, Witzel and Weigel, who are so slow that... If you try to play counter-pressing, they're not going to be there quick enough anyway. So, um, yeah, it's it's all a complicated mess, and it's not all just on Favre. It's also how the squad is composed. Anyway, uh, I do think that Dortmund will win this, and uh, so my prediction will be 3-1 to one Dortmund. And with that, um, I wish everyone a good week. Um, I'm at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can follow Lars at Lars Polman on Twitter. If you want to get in touch with all of us, please do that via Facebook or Twitter at yellowwallpot is the respective handle. You can find our written content as uh, I've read of like the uh, pre-match press conference, the transcription. You can find that on theyellowwall.net. And if you uh, want to subscribe to all the written content, please go to patreon.com slash theyellowwall where you can also sponsor an episode for 10 bucks a pop. To get a shout out like uh, Pontus Linz last week for Schwedische Borussen in his fan club. Um, so please do that. Uh, and otherwise, uh, yeah, as always, you can help us by sharing the show via, let's say, iTunes or so, leaving a rating there. Um, that helps the algorithm. And otherwise, subscribe via SoundCloud, YouTube, or Spotify, Amazon, and all that. So um, anyway, that's all for us from this week. As always, thank you for listening. Goodbye.